0: We're in a series right now, Talking about the character of God. Uh, for, for, the, for four weeks in a row, we talked about identity, who are we? And now we're covering identity, who is God? And last week, we talked about um, the first thing we see as far as God's identity in Scripture, which is that he was a creator. We talked about Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God. And today, we're going to look at another aspect of God's character and personhood. And when it comes to um, talking about God and trying to figure out and discuss who is God, I love what A.W. Tozer said. He said, what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And so as we're approaching this subject of of who is God, what you think about God and how you think about God and who you think God is, that really is the most important thing about you. And again, last week we talked about uh, God, how he's the creator. We talked about how he's the creator of all things and really his eternal nature, how he has eternally existed even before he created all things and although the first act we see of God in scripture Genesis 1 1 is the act of creation in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth creator is not God's primary identity and I want to explain this here because if creator were God's primary identity then it would mean he God would need creation in order to be who he fully is And so if God's primary identity is creator, that would mean before creation, before he created the heavens and the earth, he wouldn't fully be who he was. And so the the question we really need to ask, really, in order to discover who God actually is at his core, even before he was a creator, is what was God doing before creation? And maybe that's a a question you've wrestled with or thought through, maybe even last week as we talked about in the beginning, God, how he existed before creation— like what was he doing before he was a creator with infinite time, no beginning, no end. He just always existed. What what was his identity at that point in time before he even created anything? And Jesus actually answers this question for us that we've all maybe thought through or wrestled with at one point in time. He answers it for us in John chapter 17, verse 24. And in John 17, verse 24, here's what Jesus says. He says, father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because, listen here, you loved me before the foundation of the world. So Jesus is praying to the father, the heavenly father, and he says, you loved me before the foundation of the world. So before God ever created anything, before he ever created the heavens and the earth or people, before he ever ruled over anything, God for eternity past existed as a father loving his son. This is his primary identity, even before creator for eternity past, God was a father. That's who he eternally reveals himself to be a father who eternally existed in a loving relationship with his son. And so today, what I want to talk about is uh, the, the first person of the Trinity, God, the father. And when it comes to fatherhood. This is an idea that we're all really familiar with, but the reality is for some people, the subject of fatherhood comes with a a lot of brokenness. It comes with a lot of heartache. It comes with a lot of pain because of their experiences with, with their father here on the earth. And the reality is, we project our concepts of who we think God the Father is based on our personal experiences with with what it's been like for us on this earth and our relationship with our Father. And again, for this reason, a lot of people have a difficult time understanding or accepting or even wanting to know God the Father because again, when when the Father thing comes up, their experience with the Father was not a good one. their their experience with the father was that of neglect or their experience with the father was that of abuse or, or that of abandonment or that of anger. And so again, if that's the type of experience you had with an earthly father, what we can easily do is think of God the Father that same way as well. And so I wanted to just approach this subject by letting you guys know that when when some people, and, and by some people, I mean even people in this room, when some people hear the term or the word father, they do not know a face, they do not hear a voice. They do not feel love. They do not feel comfort. In fact, the statistics now are one in three kids under the age of 18 will grow up without a father in their house. So statistically, probably 33% of you guys here are are the people that I'm talking about who when you think of a father, it's, it's not a good thought. Maybe you don't even have a thought. Maybe you don't even know what that is or what that should look like. And it's so tragic that the beauty of really the fatherhood of God and what it means that he is our father. It's so tragic that that is tainted because of uh, our fatherly experiences on the earth where they fell short and where they failed and where they did not accurately reflect the heart of God, the father to us, their children. And so if you're in that boat, if you're in that camp and your experiences on this earth with your father, were not a good experience or maybe you had no experiences because he left you. I wanted to start off by just saying that while your earthly father maybe didn't want you, even before that, I wanna let you know that your heavenly father did. Your heavenly father wanted you when your earthly father didn't. And while your earthly father rejected you and hated you and neglected you and abused you, that was never the heart the intent of of our heavenly father. And so those of you guys in here who grew up maybe with an absent dad, I want you to know you have a, a present heavenly father, that your dad may be absent, but your heavenly father is not. It tells us in Psalm 68 verse five, God is the father of the fatherless. And this is a difficult subject for some people, again, because of their experiences, but what I want to ask you to do today as we look at the fatherhood of God and what that means that God is our father, and this may be difficult to do, but I want to ask you to, to put aside for a second your personal experiences with your father, to set those aside, to put aside your past hurts and your, your past pains and your brokenness and allow God the father himself to shape your view of of what a father should be and to shape your view of of how you see him. Because if we already take what we think a father is like and apply that to God the father, we're gonna fall miserably short of, of who he truly is. But if we put our experiences aside and let God the father himself through his word Reveal to us his true nature than than the broken heart that maybe has been caused by an earthly father I believe can experience full restoration and full healing as we allow god the father to really Paint fresh strokes of grace on the brokenness of our hearts So I want to just encourage us all let's let's look at who god the father reveals himself as and and tells us that he is rather than putting our own experiences, uh in play and saying that's who we think he is. And so um, let's just start with the question, what does it actually mean that God is a father? Like that may seem like a simple question, but what does that mean? Like when we're talking about God, God is a father. And the simplest answer I could, I could just come up with in one sentence is, is this, and it, it may sound weird, but it's the simplest. God the father is called father because he is a father. Father. So I'll just, we'll just start there. God the Father is called Father because he is a father. Now, what, what does that mean? What does it mean to be a father? Well, a few things. Number one, to be a father means, no, uh, number one, you, you have to have children, right? In order to be a dad, in order to be a father, you have to have children. And God existed in eternity past with the Son, So so by nature, that means that God was a father. Not only is a father someone who has children, a father is someone who gives out life. By nature, to to be a father, to create a son or a daughter, you are life-giving. So the fact that God is a father means he he has a son. It means he is life-giving. He literally is the source of life. And then number three, the primary role of a father is to love. to to, to love those children and God from eternity past as a father of a son was a life-giving being who had an eternal loving relationship with his son and so this really is the fundamental identity of what it means that God is a father and even is our father it's that he is life-giving and that he is love-giving And so this is the essence, really, of of what fatherhood is and who God is. He's a life-giving and a love-giving being. And he didn't just give life and show love for the first time at creation. God eternally existed before creation as a source of life and a source of eternal love. From eternity past, again, he had a loving relationship with his son as a father, and they shared eternal life together one with another. Now, because of this, because God has eternally existed before he created anything as a a source of life and as a father and a source of love, It's entirely characteristic of God to create things and give life to other things that he may share his love with those other things. So the act of creation is an extension and an expansion of God's life and of God's love. That was not the initial time he was showing love or bringing forth life. That was a part of his eternal fatherhood. But God in creating the earth and in creating humans was doing so because at the core of who he is as a father, he is a life giving and a love giving being. And so the act of creation is evidence that God wanted to share his life and share the love of a father with, with us. with with his creation, which is incredibly mind-blowing. And so the the, the act of creation, it's God, again, extending his love, expanding it that it might be enjoyed by us. And so when God created, it wasn't to get, it wasn't to get something. He didn't need that. It was to give. The act of creation for God was giving love and and giving life. And it's important to note that this is really why the Trinity is so important, The the fact that God is triune is one thing that separates God, our God, Yahweh, from from all other gods. Check this out. Imagine, for an an example, which is the majority of all other gods that people worship. They are what we would call single-person gods. And if there was a single person God who existed for eternity past, then that being, that God would be a self-centered God. They would not have existed for eternity past displaying love, which God the Father has with the Son for eternity past. There was no life outside of themselves. So the fact that God is triune, this is so important to get, is, is really the source of why he is love. And the source of, of why he shares life is because for eternity past, God has existed as a triune being, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's existed for eternity past, sharing love, sharing life, sharing a relationship with each individual member of the Trinity. And so this is what separates the, the, the Christian God from all other gods, that he's existed for eternity past, actually showing love, actually displaying love, actually creating life. And creation for us, again, was an extension of that love. He wanted us to be able to participate in that, to experience that. A, a, a single being, a single person God would not do that he he wouldn't want to share love he wouldn't want to share life if there was a single being god who existed for eternity past it would be about themselves that type of god never would have created to begin with but a triune god who has existed as a self-giving love-giving life-giving being it makes sense that he would create not because he needs to receive anything from creation but by nature he has eternally been giving and eternally been loving and therefore wanted to share that with creation which is amazing now i have I in the beginning, flip to first John chapter 4. If you're not there, flip there right now. I want us to see this here that God has chosen to, to share love and to share life with us, his creation. There it is. First John chapter 4. Look down with me if you would at verse 7. It says this: Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Okay, let's just pause there for a second here. He says, Beloved, let us love one another. This is our role, to love one another. He says, For love is from God. Love comes from God. He's the source of love. And it says, Whoever loves, if we do love, we've been born of God and know God. Now look at verse 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. If you don't love, he says, you don't know God because God is love. Now, check this out. I'm sure we've met people like this. Have you ever met a person that you maybe spend just two, three, four, five minutes with that person, and they're so incredibly loving, they're so incredibly gracious, they're so incredibly kind, that the more you hang out with that person, you can't help but continue to, to, to love. They, in their love, it's above and beyond what's normal for us, they, in their love, in their grace, in their kindness, as you're around that person, it affects you. They love so much, they love so freely that when you hang out with those types of people, you feel like, man, I want to share love with people also. I want to share this kind of kindness with people also." people like this are a small reflection of, of what First John 4 is saying that God is like, which is again, our role as image bearers to, to reflect and image God's nature and God is love. And when we know that God and have a relationship with that God, what he's saying here is that God is love in such a profound way that we cannot know him, we cannot have a relationship with him without ourselves becoming loving like him. When you know God, when you have a personal relationship with God, the result and the outcome of that is that you will become a more loving person because he, this God we serve, is love. Now, who is this God that's being talked about in 1 John chapter 4? It is the Father who we have been talking about. Because look at verse 9. 1 John 4, 9 says this. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live, again, life-giving, that we might live through Him. So the God being spoken of here in verse 7 through 9 is God the Father, because verse 9 tells us that this God who is love sent His Son into the world to show us what love was and and to give life to us so so that through Him we might live. So... What this means is the the God who is love is the father who sends the son. I want to say that again. If you're a tweet meister, you can tweet it out. If you're a note taker, write that down. The God who is love is the father who sends the son. That's the God that we're talking about here. God, the father who sent his son, he himself is love. And this is where God primarily, again, finds his identity as a father in in sharing love and life with his son, which he's done for all eternity. And then secondly, though, he sent his son to share that love and to share that life with us. Is this mind blowing God the father existed for eternity past, sharing love, sharing life with the son. And then that father sent his son to the earth to share that love and to share that life with us humans who were created in his image, who were created to experience that love in a tangible way, which is why Jesus, when he came on the scene in John 15 verse nine, he said that as my father has loved me, so I have loved you, abide in my love. Jesus came to bring us and show us the love of the Father, which is amazing. So God is, is love. The Father is love. I want you to notice the difference here. Love is not something that God the Father has. Love is not primarily one of his moods. When we think of love, we think of it as something that comes and goes, right? I think of sometimes I might feel loving towards that person. Sometimes I don't. If I'm, if I'm upset, then I'm not gonna show love towards that person. If I'm having a bad day, then I'm not gonna show love towards that person. We tend to think of love as an emotion or a mood that kind of comes and goes or changes based on our circumstances, but it doesn't say that God has love. It says rather in 1 John 4, verse eight, that God is love, which is completely different than having love. He himself is love. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean that God is love, that God the Father is love, rather than that He just has it and chooses to show it? Well, the fact that God is love, um, the reason that that is possible is because God is love because for eternity past, again, He had a perfect loving relationship with His Son. This is important to get. This is why God is love. He is love because he has always existed in a perfect loving relationship. If God was, again, not triune, if there was no eternal son or Holy Spirit, then God the Father could not be love because it would mean for eternity past he existed by himself and he had no objects in which to display his love. God could not be love if there was not somebody to love for eternity past. And this is, again, why it's so important to understand the eternal nature of the Son and of the Holy Spirit as well. If they were not eternal, if they were created rather than co-creators, God could not be love. If there was a time when the Son did not exist, then there was a time when God was not a father. And if there was a time when God was not a father, then there was a time when he was not loving a son. And so the fact that God is love. Again, it's because he always has loved. The, The fact that God is love it's because he always has loved. There was never a single time in all eternity where God was not actively and proactively showing love, which means it's actually impossible for God to not love. You might have, as a kid, wrestled with the question or heard the question, is there anything that God can't do? Or, you know, people would say, can God build a wall so high he can't climb over it? And you're like, whoa, that's like mind-blowing. He could build it. Yeah, he can build anything, but, oh, but he can't climb over it. He can climb over anything, so I don't know. But, like, the question, is there anything God cannot do? Yes. He cannot not love because he is love. That is what he has been doing as a father for eternity past. He has been showing love to the son. And so this is, again, primarily what it is to to be a father. This is the heart of the father. This is the nature of God the father. He is love. He cannot not love, which is amazing for us. Again, getting getting to have this personal intimate relationship with God the Father, there's not a single moment that passes or that will pass or that ever has passed where God does not have a full and complete love for us, his children, which is completely mind-blowing. So check this out. Jesus comes on the scene. And when Jesus comes onto the scene all throughout the Gospels, we see the primary term that he used when speaking of God was the term Father. He uses it over 150 times throughout the four Gospels. And for the Jews at this time who were awaiting God Father, this was mind blowing for them. There had never been an individual who spoke of God as father because, again, that, that's such a, a personal, close, intimate relationship. They would call him God, but but not father, and this is actually the reason Jesus ended up being crucified. This is the reason that the Jews sent him to the cross was because they thought it was blasphemous that he, Jesus, was saying God was his father, was saying that he always existed with God. They thought that that was blasphemous. It was mind-blowing. There was no one who had ever came on the scene and said Jesus was, that God was the father, but Jesus did that. But again, they weren't used to having this type of a close, intimate relationship where you actually call God father. And again, maybe some of you are in that type of boat where you're like, I, I call him God and I might talk to Jesus, but thinking of God as a father, th- that takes intimacy. That, that, t- that takes closeness. But the amazing thing is this. Jesus, who, who called God Father, Jesus, who came to earth from the Father, he actually invites every single one of us into this personal, close, intimate relationship and tells us that we, as his children, can address God as father as well. He says this in the Lord's Prayer, which is Matthew chapter six. If you wanna flip there real quick, I want you to see this. This is amazing. Matthew chapter six. Starting in verse seven, Jesus says, when you pray, do not keep up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them for, he says, your father knows what you need before you ask him. So God, Jesus didn't just call God his father. He said, your father, he's our father as well. And then verse nine, we we all know this verse. It says in verse nine, Jesus says, "Then, then pray like this. And Jesus' prayer, when he's teaching us how to pray, he says, this is how we ought to pray. His prayer starts with our Father in heaven. So Jesus says, when you pray, you can pray our Father who art in heaven. Now, this is amazing if you think about just this one phrase that Jesus tells you, you can say, that Jesus tells you, you can pray, the terminology he tells you, you can use when you speak to God, he says, pray like this, our father, which art in heaven. That one phrase, within that phrase, there is an, in, an infinite amount of intimacy. There's number one, transcendence, God's in heaven, we're talking to God the Father who is in heaven. There, again, there's transcendence. He's great, he's in heaven, and yet there's intimacy. Jesus says, you can call the one who is in heaven our Father, You can approach him as a child approaches his father, although he's so great, although he's so high above us. He says, you can approach him. You can come to him. You can speak to him saying our father in an intimate personal relationship, which is amazing. Now the question is, how do we have the right to do that? How do you and I have the right to call God father? I understand that, that Jesus can. Jesus, the son, has always eternally existed with God the father, but me, again, a, a finite created human, how can I have the ability, Jesus says, to, to call God father? I feel like sometimes, man, I, I don't deserve that. I, I shouldn't be able to do that. How, how is that made possible? How do we experience calling God father? How do we have the ability to do that? The way we have the ability the reason we have the ability to call God father is because of the son. It's through Jesus. It's through the son. It's through the father sending his son that he, Jesus made a way for us to be able to have intimacy with the father. It says in Ephesians three, verse five, listen to this. He the father predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. The father has predestined us to be sons. How? Through Jesus Christ, through sending his son. It's through the person of Jesus that we have access to the father. Well, How did that take place? What does that look like? What did Jesus do as the son that gave me uh, the ability to become a son of God as well? Well, it says in Galatians 4, verse 4 through 7, listen to this. When the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. We talked about this a few weeks ago, the incarnation. God, the son, Jesus Christ, actually became a human like us, born of a woman. He says, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Jesus came to this earth as a human born under the law that we all had broken and were guilty of and the wages of sin of us breaking the law was separation from the father when Adam sinned in the garden of Eden he was cast away from the garden of Eden which is where he walked in the cool of the garden with the father and so Jesus came to redeem us which is to purchase back and again to redeem means something that was once yours that now isn't. God sent Jesus to redeem us. We belong to him. Our sins separated us from him because we transgressed the law. And through Jesus and his work on the cross, he purchased us back to God so that now the father rightfully has ownership of us as sons through adoption Because of Jesus, we have been adopted into the family of God. And then in Galatians 4, verse 7, he continues and says, Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Because of what Jesus did... We've been adopted into the family of God. And Jesus says through the Holy Spirit who came after Jesus' resurrection, we now have the ability to call God Father. We, we now can call him Abba, which is literally translated Papa or Daddy, a term of intimacy. So God made a way for us to have access to him and a relationship with him, the Father, through his son, Jesus Christ. It says in 1 John 3, 1, see what kind of love the father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. This is our new identity because of what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to to share the life of the Father and show the love of the Father to us, and it's only through Jesus' work on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection, redeeming us, purchasing us from the slave market of sin, taking the death and the condemnation that we deserve, it's only through Jesus' work on the cross that we have access again to the Father. Because Jesus stretched out his arms on the cross for you, the Father now opens his arms and accepts you as well because everything that you have done that separated you from the Father's love is now completely done away with because of what Jesus came to do. And so I wanna just encourage us today to know that God the Father and his, his perspective of you, the way that he sees you, the way that he thinks about you is, is the same way that he's thought of the Son from eternity past, He wants to share life with you. He he wants to share love with you. That's in the nature of a father. That's what a father does. And that's the way that God sees every single one of us in Christ Jesus. And so if you wanna know the father, if you wanna know the extent of his love and how much he cares for you, all you gotta do is look to Jesus. When you look at the son, when you see how far the father went, that he sent his only son to die in your place, there's no greater act of love than that. And in that moment that he sent his son to die for us, by the way, it wasn't a response because we had loved God. It was exactly the opposite. God sent his son to die for us while we were sinners. God's love for you, the Father's love for you isn't a response because you love him. The Father's love for you is uncaused and it's eternal. It's because of who he is. It's because he is love. It's because for eternity past, he has been a loving being and made a way again for us to be able to enter into that love and experience that love in a tangible way. And so I wanna encourage you today. Whatever guilt, whatever struggles, whatever shame or condemnation you may feel at this season of your life, I want you to know there's more love in the Father than there is sin in you. God's love is so much greater and so much stronger and already has conquered and done away with all of our sin and made a way so that there now is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So today, I want you to leave here experiencing the complete freedom and the complete love of the Father. God the Father is love and you are loved. Amen.